In 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. Elijah has probably the greatest moment of his life. He's had the challenge of Ahab. And he dueled with the 450 prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal. One prophet of God. Elijah. The prophets try all day to get their gods to come down and consume the offerings. But when it's Elijah's turn, he soaks all of the offerings with water so that they're wet. And then fire comes down from heaven and consumes them all. Not just the offerings, but the altars themselves. It's a great win in front of all of Israel. And Israel gets excited and in fact goes off and kills these toxic prophets that have been abusing and have been manipulating Israel. But in 1 Kings 19, right after Elijah's greatest win, we hear this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And you may have heard the story before, that then God shows up in different things, in wind and in fire and all these things. But God is in the whisper. But it's amazing to me that Elijah has this huge wind. Uh, You will probably never have a moment like Elijah had right there, right? You will never call down fire in front of the 450 other people opposing you in front of all of Israel and have such a victory. But like the next day, that day doesn't really give a timeline. As soon as Jezebel threatens him, he's like, oh no, I'm afraid. I got to run. I got to hide. Lord, take my life. What am I going to do? And I'm sure God is scratching his head there like, you remember the fire thing? Remember like yesterday, this big win that you had? Sometimes after great wins, uh, we feel great loss and great emptiness. Now I plan to do a sermon this week about communion and the meaning of communion. It doesn't happen often, but, but I felt like God was leading me away from that message into a little different message And so I've been wrestling with that all week. I have been feeling here this fall a little bit of a lull, a little bit of a funk, uh, if I'm to be honest, just a little bit down. I think some of that's personal for me, uh, if I can share. Um, You know, I took my family to Disney World and I'm coming down off the high. I mean, that is just a high, right? Being in Disney World and then coming back, it's kind of like back to real world, you know? Uh, I'm also working on my dissertation right now, which I need to have a draft in in about a month. Um, So I am just writing constantly. My dissertation is about a 72-page paper, 
and then the start of a book that I'm trying to write, so, which is about that same length. So I am just working like a dog, trying to, and I am overwhelmed. I'm right at that point. But I think I'm also feeling a lull of coming off of what was a really great summer and beginning of fall for us as a church. Um, I mean, we, we put in this lift back here, and um, a lot of us weren't even sure we would ever do that. It was kind of a dream. And for us to pull that off and get the excitement around it and the great wind of that, it felt like an Elijah moment, right? Like, I, like we would not have thought, when I first came to this church, we, we weren't sure how long we were going to stay open. And here we are with this amazing wind. And so I think there's a lull after that. And I don't think it's just me. I think we've we got to get in that lull. Um, this is about the time of year where we start looking at budget, too, and thinking about next year. And that has some challenges for us as a church. Um, when I came to this church, we had a part-time pastor. And uh, we, we decided, as I was here and I was part-time in seminary, that we would give it a go and see if we could afford full-time ministry. And uh, we've still been working to do that. We budgeted this year to, to be about a negative $10,000. So we were going to spend about $10,000 more than came in on our operating budget. Right now, we're about a negative sixteen, So we're close. We need a very good finish to kind of finish off the year. Um, but we can't do that forever, right? We can't continue to spend more than we bring in. And, and we have had a great, great offering and outpouring of the Spirit and of uh, financial abundance as a church for our capital campaign. But there's this other side that's kind of a reality. And so as I thought about the realities of that and coming down off of, of uh, the highs of finishing things and this lull kind of before Advent that we're in, um, decided to talk about today the future of our church. Not just where we are, but where we're going. Kind of a need for some energy. And in the Bible, energy follows vision. In Proverbs 29, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. What that means is, when there's no vision, the people do whatever they want. The old translation used to say, where there is no vision, remember it? The people perish. There's no life, because there's no direction. Now, I don't mean... That what we need is some kind of ecstatic vision or dream. I haven't had any kind of dream about where God's sensing, where God's leading us. And I'm willing to bet none of you are going to get that either. It's not normally how biblical visions work. Maybe God will come to you and say directly what we're supposed to do. But that's not normally how it works. Uh, What I mean by vision is that God has a plan and a purpose for us. We remember Jeremiah 29.11 that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. In the Bible, a vision is a little picture of what that plan is. Just a little vision, a little picture, a little capture of what that vision might be. Proverbs 119.105 says, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Everybody, that's not a lot of light. Okay? Lamp unto my feet, light unto my path, which means I see right here. And that's how God's vision often works. He doesn't lay out the whole road before us. He gives us this much, and we take that step, and then he gives us this much, and we take that step. And, and so we're constantly trying to get this vision of what's next. What's the next step? Like cars on, like headlights on your car on a dark night. You can't see the whole road 
to where you're going. You can only see as far as your headlights take you, and you got to drive that far to see past. And that's where we are. I think we are, as a church, in need of some vision, some sense of where we're going. I think we saw that. We had that with the capital campaign, but, but we're not starting another capital campaign. We're not going to manufacture that energy like that anymore. What we need to do is start getting a vision and a purpose for what happens in this building and through this building as we go out um, underneath of this new roof and heated by this new boiler and accessible through this new lift. What's our vision? What's our purpose? What's next for us? And I'm not sure that I have it. I don't know what all of the pieces of this vision are going to be, but I think as I've been really praying with God about this, I can tell you a few things. A couple of things that I think are our next steps or are part of the vision for our church moving forward. First of all, I think we got we to gotta get a baseline right here. Because if we get this wrong, it, everything will, will go fooey. Okay? We do not grow God's church. We do not grow God's church. We're not capable of growing God's church. And that's not how it's supposed to work. What did Jesus say? If I am lifted up, I will draw all men, all people unto myself in John 12. Right? The lifting up, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a metaphor for what happens on the cross. When people were, were put on the cross, they were considered lifted up. But I think it means more than that. I think our job as a church is to lift Jesus up. To say, look how great Jesus is. Look how much Jesus has done for you. And in everything we do, be pointing back to Jesus. And I think when we start to do that more and more and more, it's Jesus' job to start drawing people into that. Or Matthew 16, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, go build my church. What does he say? I will build my church. I will build my church. You're just the groundwork. You're the groundwork. I think Jesus is up to something in our midst. I think the lift kind of represented that, that we have this energy going as a church, that God is doing something in our midst. And whatever that is, that's the primary thing we have to nurture. That's the primary thing as a church we have to take care of. Because if Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. We're never going to be able to draw people. It's going to have to be something that Jesus does. Okay, it used to be as a church, you could build it and they would come. Because most people came to church. That is not the world we live in today. Okay, Jesus has to draw people. And I firmly believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And we sit here today as an outpost of that hope in this world. So we do not grow Jesus' church But what we do is we start to set the environment. For me, our lift is a big symbol of that. Used to be that church was something respectable people did. And you had to kind of look a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. It was was something respectable people did. I'm telling you, the church of the future is not going to be a church of respectable people. The church is going to be a church of broken people. By the way, that's how the church started. It only became respectable much later on. It's going to be a church of broken people. A church of the future is going to be a church where people who can't find fit anywhere else come to find fit. That's the kind of church that we need to be. It's not a church of respectable people. It's a church generally of unrespectable people. 
who come in to deal with the brokenness of their lives. People with rough edges that can't find their fit in any other puzzles. But for some reason, the church has enough grace to find a place for those people. See, the lift isn't for me just a picture of, it, of, of how people who have trouble walking might get into our church. It has, it's a picture of what I think the church of tomorrow is going to be, which is a church where all kinds of people with all kinds of problems come to find hope and find rest and find peace. I think it's how we were supposed to be all along. But that's going to be a little tricky for the church to navigate being a church that's not respectable, but is a church of, of broken people. Because that's messy, right? It's much easier to just come in, say hello, shake somebody's hand, and then go home and go about your business. But, but to be a church that goes deeper than that. We need to be a church where people come and experience God and wor- worship and learn more about God in worship and in teaching. Okay, that's one of the strengths of this church, I think, is the experiences that we have. And, and, but for that to work, we've got to continue to build on that. Continue to try to live differently. We've got to come in here and we've got to grow and learn and be challenged. One of the things that I try to do in my sermons is I try to bring the heat on Sundays. I try to plan worship and I try to bring sermons where I have prayed them up and I have thought about them and I have worked on them and I bring the heat. Um, That's my phrase. I bring the heat. And I want to bring the heat every Sunday. And here's my question for you. Are you bringing some heat with you? Right? Are you coming in with some energy and some excitement, ready to learn, ready to grow, ready to see your own life changed? Um, this is, I can't bring all the heat, right? You got to bring your own heat. More people got to bring heat. I think as we move forward, part of that bringing, up heat, bringing of heat is we need to step up into ministry and in leadership. Part of what we need to do as a church moving forward is we need to be creative about some new things. Some new actions, some new ministries that we get involved in. And those can't come from me. And those can't come just from a couple of people that are on sessions or on the deacons. It's got to come from everybody kind of finding a place in the leadership of this church. And and we need to do a better job as a church having more places for people to come and bring their leadership. I think that's really, really important. We do have some financial questions about our future as a church. But we've seen with the outpouring of the capital campaign that, uh, that the possibilities are there and that the life is there. What's more important to me is always the spiritual nature of giving. The spiritual nature of giving. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm not sure God, Jesus cares very much about your money, but he cares desperately about your heart. And what Jesus says is where your treasure is, your heart goes also. So that means if I put my treasure over here, that's where my heart is. Hey, if I put my treasure over here, that's where my heart is. Yeah, and I, I can always prove that, right? You buy a new car, suddenly you love driving, right? Because you put your money into it, you put your investment into it, and your heart ends up following what you invest in. That's why some of those questions are so important for us moving forward. I think the engine of our church must be prayer. Must be prayer. Um, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to emphasize this enough with you. In the Bible, God responds to the prayers of his people. Okay, where, where, God's pray, where there are prayers to God, he moves into that space and does something wonderful and answers those prayers. Okay, for our church, 
moving forward, we have to start really in deeper ways bathing our church in prayer. Let me, let me ask you, tell me about your prayer life. If I pulled you aside this week and said, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about how your conversations with God are going throughout the week. How many of us would <gasps> pause and be shocked because I said grace on Tuesday, right? No, for this church, for the church of tomorrow, for a church in a very dark and broken world, prayer has to be essential, okay? Because it's not us that's doing it, it's God that's doing it. And prayer asks and invites God to be a part of that, and it also reminds us constantly where our power really comes from. Right? What did we sing last week? What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. That's a privilege we need to take seriously. And here's the real difficult thing. The church of tomorrow and our church for tomorrow needs to be a place of invitation and witness. Invitation and witness. It used to be, you build a church, people would come because people were supposed to come, right? You look at the 50s, even into towards the 80s. If you build it, they will come. There was just a natural people would go to church. Those days are over. Field of dreams is no more for churches. You can't just build it. What people will respond to, though, is watching people's lives change. People are fascinated when other people start to change and grow. They say, what's, what's going on with you? That you're smiling more, that you're happy. How could you deal with that loss with such grace? How can that person that, that was so rude to you, um, how come it didn't bother you? See, there's this old word, we don't use it in the church very much, <coughs> called witness. Witness. Jesus says to his disciples in Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And we took that word and we made it just this word evangelism where you go knock on somebody's door and you tell them about how much they need Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, that we live in a world that does not want to hear how much they, they know they, they need Jesus. They, they need to hear, but they do not want to hear. And they do not particularly want to come to church. Okay? But what they will pay attention to is the witness of lives of believers. They want to see life change. They want to have more hope than this election is giving anybody, right? They want to have less fear. They want to learn how to love their neighbor. They want to know how to get over the pains of their lives. And if, as Christians, we can be that salt and light for them, that's the future of the church. Witness. And being willing when somebody says, hey, what happened? Hey, Jesus is doing this awesome thing in my life. And, and my friends at church are really helping me to be supported in that. And let me tell you about that. And why don't you come be a part of that? That's witness. And man, is that uncomfortable, right? You don't want to do that. But, but here's the challenge. This is the challenge churches have got to wrestle with. I'm the pastor. You're the neighbor of your neighbors. I can't come be the neighbor of your neighbors. Okay. And we can't move the church to every one of your neighborhoods so that they are your neighbors, right? I can't be every one of your coworkers' coworkers. God put you as their coworkers. God put you as their neighbor. The future of the church is one where you witness, where you stand as salt and light, and you just care about the people around you. And I'm not sure you have to talk about it that much. I think you just got to be salt and light. I read this week of a guy named 
Nolan Bushnell. Nolan Bushnell was the founder of Atari. Okay, so the guy made, made big bucks. And he was one of the only people that had the distinction of being a boss of a man named Steve Jobs, who founded Apple and really helped Pixar take off. And uh, so he was working at Atari, and Steve Jobs was working for him, but not for very long, because Steve Jobs had this idea about this company that would eventually be Apple. And so, so he said to this guy, Nolan Bushnell, he said, would you invest $50,000 to help us get this company started? And Nolan Bushnell didn't do it. $50,000, he did not do it. If Bushnell had to agree to put in that $50,000, he would have been a one-third owner in Apple. Do you know what Apple was valued recently at? About $480 billion. Okay, Bushnell would have been worth, from that one investment, about $160 billion. $50,000 invested, $160 billion, and that's not counting all the dividends he would have made over the years. He missed his moment. He missed his moment. He, he, he had a moment, and he, he had other moments too, so don't feel bad for that guy. But he had this one moment to make this big investment, and he missed it. And I wonder if every day he's not like, man, I really wish that I had just coughed up the $50,000. You know? You can't miss your moment. God gives us moments, and God gave us this moment. He gave us this time, he gave us this church, he gave us this community, he gave us this world. And I wish, I, I honestly wish, it would have been much easier if my moment had been in the 1950s. Or even the 1980s. You know what? I love history. I would have loved the 1400s. I could have really, like, I... But this is my moment. And this is your moment. And we do not want to miss our moment. Because God put it before us for a reason. So thank you. Thank you for getting involved in our church and coming here. Um, there's a number of faces around this room that were not here uh, six years ago. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for getting excited. Thank you for getting involved. And let's keep moving forward. Let's work into the messiness of where God might be taking us as a church. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we wait for the future. Not sure where you're taking us. Not sure what you have to say. But Lord, knowing that you have big things. On the horizon. Let us step into those things, we pray. Amen.